Are you happy? Do you love Jesus? Do you hate the devil? <laughs> you know the devil hates you too. That's all right, isn't it? But the devil's a loser, isn't he? Don't you agree with me? The devil's a loser. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus kicked the devil in the head. It's true, isn't it? Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman crushed the serpent's head and bruised his heel. That means Jesus kicked the devil in the head. But we don't use that sort of terminology, do we? Because we're Christians and we're nice. But uh, <laughs> Now, you know, the Bible sometimes has a little bit of aggressive language, doesn't it? And uh, you heard me share just the other night how it says in, I think it's Matthew chapter 11, that heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You know, those who are passionately aggressive lay hold of the things of the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, because there's a very real devil and he's, he's out to get us. He's out to undermine our, our, our plans, God's plans and purposes for our lives. And uh, we've got to know how to fight the fight of faith. If we don't know how to fight the fight of faith, the devil can take us out and he can rob us and stop us building the, des- the, the, the legacy that we're trying to build and stop us passing on to the next generation everything that God would have us to pass on to the next generation. Amen. So sometimes we've got to fight the fight of faith. I'm, I'm curious this morning how many people here have ever had a fight. Give me a wave. If you've ever had a fight, come on, be honest. You've little bit of a punchy or scratchy or however it happened for you. I'm going to tell you about my first fight, all right? I was, I was about uh, 10 years old, okay? And I was in school, sitting in the classroom. I looked across at this other boy, and he looked across at me, and we gave each other the evils. You know what I mean by the evils? It's that look. You know, you don't need to say anything, it's just like, You know, and we're eyeing each other out. We didn't need to say anything, but we knew when the bell went outside the classroom on the four square courts, we were going to have a fight. All right. And so sure enough, bell goes, we go outside and uh, he thought he had advantage over me. Right. See, I was standing with my back to the classroom and uh, he was standing in front of me. He had he thought he had advantage because he was bigger than I was. And not only that, he had all his friends around him. He was quite a popular guy and he was standing with all his friends and he thought he would show off to his friends and punch me on the nose. But he underestimated me. I might have been 10 years old, but I knew karate, right? So when he swung his punch at me, I blocked the punch, I swung around and I kicked him right in the mouth. He literally flew off the ground, went back about three metres, landed in a heap, unconscious. He had blood coming out of his mouth. All of his mates looked at him on the ground. They looked at me, they looked at each other, and they ran in every direction. Well, that was in my dreams anyway. (laughs) No, what really happened, he beat me up, okay? Thank you. Let's hear the love. Oh, thank you. See, look, I wasn't much into fighting when I was at school, but I did discover something. If you didn't know how to fight, you could get beaten up, all right? So I kind of started getting interested in fighting after that. Not that I was a fighter myself. I didn't want to get into boxing to damage my own nose because I like my face the way that it is. But I was interested particularly in watching boxing and especially the heavyweight boxing championship of the world. 
And there was one heavyweight boxing fight that really got my attention. It was really awesome. And, and my friends got together at someone's house who had Sky TV so we could watch it. And it was the boxing match between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Does anyone remember that fight? It's some years ago now. But the reason that fight was so extraordinary was that Evander Holyfield is a born-again, spirit-filled preacher of the gospel. But he just happens to be the world, he was the world heavyweight champion and punched people in the head, raised money for the church, right? So I thought if he can do that, I can watch it. And, um, but Mike Tyson, if you knew something of his record, he obviously had a completely different spirit, amen, and uh, did some pretty naughty things throughout his life. So you had two people, not just of good fighters in a ring, you had two people of opposite spirit coming together. And it was interesting watching that fight because Mike Tyson, they called him Iron Mike because his punches were so hard and he was so aggressive and he was one of the greatest fighters of his time. But when he stood in front of Evander Holyfield, he couldn't look him in the eye. And that said something. He couldn't give him the evils. He couldn't stare him out. He was, he was looking around sheepishly like this. And it was almost like the spirit that was on Evander Holyfield was intimidating the spirit that was on Mike Tyson. And when the fight got underway, instead of punching the way that he normally punched, Mike Tyson just kept on hugging Evander Holyfield. He was trying to avoid his punches. And he was holding and hugging and, and everything. And while he was hugging him, he spat out his mouth guard and he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. In fact, he bit the top right off his ear. And they had to cancel the fight. I can't remember. I think it was the third round. And uh, disqualified Mike Tyson. Evander Holyfield won out of default. And uh, it was a bit of a disappointing fight to watch, though Evander Holyfield did win. And uh, I heard that Prince Charles, you know Prince Charles? I heard Prince Charles had watched that fight and then he made a public declaration on television that he was going to take up boxing. He said, I think my ears could go about 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Amen. So anyway, I want to share with you what has got to be one of the greatest fights ever recorded in history this morning. And it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And of course, it's one of the greatest legends uh, we're going to, going to hear about. And this isn't going to sound anything like your Bible, so please don't put Bible up there. If you turn to your Bible, it's still not going to sound anything like your Bible because this is the Carl Butler translation of it this morning, all right? And it's 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I am going to need a little bit of help, though, as I do share this, a uh, little bit of crowd participation, if you could help me. And it goes like this. Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, we have undefeated reigning champion. Weighing 325 kilograms, standing 2.74 meters tall, wearing bronze shorts, mean fighting machine, Goliath the Philistine. And in the white corner today, ladies and gentlemen, we have the challenger, weighing 75 kilograms, standing 1.7 meters tall, wearing white shorts. Can you give it up for David, son of Jesse? You know, there's times in, in our lives, just like David stood up and faced Goliath, that we find ourselves facing giants. We find ourselves facing challenges. They may be difficulties or they may just be a great dream or something that we're going after, but it's something big that confronts us and it can intimidate us. It can cause us to be afraid or it can cause us to be frozen with fear. 
And in this particular situation, we find the entire nation of Israel was frozen in fear because of Goliath. But there was something different about David. David was someone who dared to, to go against the status quo. He was someone who dared to challenge and stand up to this obstacle, to this big challenge that was in front of him. And he broke through. Amen. And we know that David is someone who's left a great legacy in history. In fact, Jesus is called the son of David. Amen. You can, you can kind of say you haven't left much of a greater legacy than someone who's able to have someone say of you that Jesus was your son. Amen. It's kind of amazing. And he's left incredible principles for us on how to build legacy, how to break through, how to do great things in our life. And I want to share with you some principles for you to hold on to take with you from camp to continue to build legacy in your life, continue to establish what God has got for you and do the things that God has called you to do. Amen. So you ready for that this morning? Are you ready for that this morning? Amen. It's a bit sleepy, eh? It's it's all good. Number one, I'm going to need a little swag of this. I'm not sure if it's all the speaking or all the durian, but my voice is a bit husky. Number one, be a worshipper. David loved the presence of God. There's no doubt about that. While David was a, a boy, he'd be out in the field watching over his father's sheep and uh, the sheep merrily chewing away on the grass. David would pick up his guitar and he would start playing and he would start singing. He'd start worship. Perhaps it was a harp, but let's call it a guitar. And he's worshiping God. And he did that every day. Just, just cultivated the presence of God in his life. And uh, in fact... We've got recorded there in the Psalms quite a number of David's songs, a number of the songs that, so he would be singing away to the Lord and then he'd go, oh gee, that was a good one, I better write that down. And so he writes it down and so we've got a, a record of some of the songs that he, so he's, he, David's someone who really helps us to, to worship and helps us to sing and to pray and express our hearts to the Lord. And so here he'd be, he'd be worshipping God and he'd, and, and having a good old time. And then the time came when the, the king before David, of course, was King Saul, right? And King Saul had disobeyed God. Because he had disobeyed God, the spirit of the Lord left him. And an evil spirit came and began to torment him. So his advisors said, you need to get somebody who can play their instrument well and get them to come into your presence so it will soothe that spirit that's tormenting you. And someone said, oh, I know someone like that. It's uh, David, the son of Jesse. You know, he's a he's, he's good-looking young guy, a little bit of a fighter, and, and he can play his instrument well. In fact, the term used there, the word for how he could play his instrument cunningly was like he knew how to, how to create atmosphere. He knew how to, and, and when you know how to worship God with your heart, with your voice, with your instrument, you can help create atmosphere, an atmosphere that's conducive to the Spirit of God moving. And so David was like that. But then they threw this one line in there, 1 Samuel 16, 18, as they were describing David and said, and the Lord is with him. What a funny thing to say when you're describing somebody. You know, you say they're five foot two inches tall, got black hair and glasses and, 
and uh, brown eyes, and the Lord is with them. It's like, how do you know the Lord is with them? Unless it's obvious. It's seen in what transpires wherever they are. And so there was something obvious wherever David was, that God was with him. And so we find he was called into King Saul's presence, and David played that instrument in the presence of King Saul. And the evil spirit departed. It left. Not because David just played nice. It wasn't just nice entertaining music. It, the spirit didn't go, ooh, I, I don't like nice music. I'm leaving now. Goodbye. It was, wow. See, David prayed and the presence of the Lord came into the place. And when the presence of the Lord came and inhabited his praise, that spirit couldn't stand to be in the presence of God. That's why the spirit was routed when David worshipped the Lord. And there's something very powerful about cultivating the presence of God in our lives. And right from the beginning of my ministry, it was a key for me to cultivate God's presence. In fact, it was interesting when I... um, when I first started my itinerant ministry, I'd just come back from overseas, from, from Pensacola, Florida, where I'd had an impact with God, and God was starting to move. I was preaching in churches, and whole churches were getting impacted by God's presence. And uh, so I had some friends say, can, can we come over to your house and get you to lay hands on us? We want you to impart whatever this is to us. And I'm like, yeah, sure, come over. You know, and they thinking it was all about the laying on of hands that it was going to happen. And so they came to my house. But see, at that time, I had this habit. Every single day, I'd get my guitar and I'd sit in my wardrobe and I'd worship, worship God for about an hour. Okay, I had a big wardrobe. And uh, so I sat in this wardrobe and I'd just worship God and just cultivate His presence in my life. And so when my friends came over, I said, look, before I pray for you, let's worship God. So I grabbed my guitar and I just started to sing. I closed my eyes. I just sort of shut them out for a bit. And I just got in the zone. I just worshipped God at three or four songs. I was having this really nice time with God. And then I was thinking, I'll open my eyes and I'll see where everyone is. And I'll put my guitar down and I'll come and I'll lay hands on them and pray for them. But to my surprise, when I opened my eyes, everyone else in the room was flat on their faces, weeping and shaking in the presence of God. It's like God just dropped this bomb of his presence and flattened everyone out. And I didn't even notice it. And the reason I didn't notice it is because I'd become accustomed to it. I'd been cultivating his presence in my life every day. And so when the Holy Spirit turned up, it was like, that was just normal for me. And he just wiped out all of these people. It's pretty awesome. Amen. And so it's something important about cultivating God's presence. I have people come out on the altar and they say to me, hey, can, you, can we have your anointing? Or can I have your anointing? Pray for me. I want your anointing. I say, you can't have my anointing. It's my anointing. You've got to get your own anointing. How do you get your own anointing? You worship God. You get into the presence of God. When you get into the presence of God, when you soak in the presence of God, you, you soak, it's like you get pickled in God's presence. And it permeates you. You know, it changes you. And so if somebody pokes you, the presence of God comes out, you know. And when you speak, the presence of God comes out. And when you stretch out your hand and touch someone, the presence of God touches someone. And it makes the difference. Whatever you put your hand to, when the Lord is with you because you have been a worshiper cultivating His presence in your life, it's going to impact whatever you do. And so as individuals, as a church, 
Continue to worship God and make an effort to worship God as individuals. Don't just wait until you come to church on Sunday. Worship God as often as you can. If that means putting on a, on a CD or putting on a, a podcast or whatever you do, listening to some music or playing some music, but, but cultivate God's presence. It's a very powerful part of leaving a legacy. See, David, in this whole area, you've heard of the tabernacle of David, right? Because the tabernacle of David, he just wanted to worship God with all of his heart. He, he opened up the sides of the tabernacle so that instead of the presence of God being like stuck in a corner and no one having access, it was just like, he's just saying there's free access to the presence of God. Come in and worship. Come in and enjoy God's presence. And so David did that. And we, of course we know the time also when that ark was being bought, before it got put into the tabernacle, the ark was being bought into the town and David danced with all of his might. He stripped off his clothes down to his undies and he was dancing with all his might and, and, and you know, his wife wasn't too happy about that, but he didn't care. He just thought, I, I'll be more undignified than this. I'm just going to worship God with all of my heart because that's the most important thing, he thought, in his life. Amen? Number two, get a God perspective. Get a God perspective. Because David knew God, David had a God perspective. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 26... When David turned up out on the field that day, see, he'd just been sent by his father out to check on the war, basically to check on his brothers. His brothers were all soldiers, and David had been brought, came with some, some uh, food, cheese and crackers and stuff for his brothers. And when he turned up there, he just so happened to hear Goliath down in the valley. It was in the morning. Goliath had come out. Goliath was shouting his threats at the Israelite army. The Israelite army, they were all shaking in their boots. They were all wetting their pants. And David's looking at this guy there and he's thinking, what the heck is going on here? Who is, it says this in um, 1 Samuel 17, 26. He said, Who, what, he, well, he came up first and he, and he asked this question. He came to this group of soldiers and he asked the question, what will be done for the man who removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David didn't see a giant in the valley like everybody else saw a giant. David just saw someone uncircumcised, which meant he was not in covenant with God. Which basically David said, because we're in covenant with God, we've got the upper hand. God's on our side. Anyone who's not in covenant with God, they're just a piece of dirt. It's just a matter of sweeping them up, really. And who's, who, who volunteers for this? Well, is it, what's the reward? You know, what will be done for the person? I'll do it if no one else is going to do it. And so he step up to the plate. So uh, there's another time in Scripture, in Numbers chapter 13, when the people of Israel got intimidated by giants. Remember when they sent the 12 spies into the promised land? And the Bible tells us that 10 spies came back with an evil report. They're saying like, Ooh, they're, they're bigger than we are. We can't fight them. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. They kind of felt themselves getting shrunk. They were intimidated by what they were looking at, by the, by the challenge they were looking at. 
You could even say by the vision that they had, whatever it was, it intimidated them so much that they felt like they were shrinking down and they were just little grasshoppers and when the giants looked at them, they, th- they thought they were little grasshoppers. What was the problem here? The problem was that they were looking at the situation just through their natural eye, just through their, their rational thinking and uh, just a, a normal kind of physical perspective instead of looking at it through a God perspective. So how do you get a God perspective? Don't get so wrapped up and focused on the size of your problem or the size of your challenge. Get focused on the size of your God. Amen. Get your eyes on your God. Because when you get your eyes on your God, you get your eyes on your God in worship, you get your eyes on your God in, in His Word, you get focused on God, and you realize, even as I was sharing the other night, how big God is. The creation of the entire universe is just a breath from His mouth. Any other little thing is just peanuts. For God. So when you got this concept of how huge God is, how mighty God is, how all powerful God is, no matter what is standing in front of you, is peanuts. Amen. You know, uh, when David faced Goliath, Goliath, nine foot six inches tall in the old measurements, he was four times the weight of an average man. He was massive, and he's standing there looking really ugly, and he's shouting at David, Come here, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And I mean, when Goliath spoke, his breath was so bad, the grass about 10 meters in front of him just withered up on the ground. And he spat when he spoke too, and his spit was like acid. It hit the ground, it was going you know, smoke was coming out as he is, and not quite. But you know, very intimidating to the average person. But David wasn't the average person. He was a person with a God perspective. He was a person who carried the presence of God. And so when Goliath shouted this at him, it just was like water off a duck's back. It just didn't even shake or rattle David one iota. David looks Goliath straight back in the eye and says, oh yeah, well, let me tell you something. Today, God is going to hand you over to me and I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to chop off your head and I'm going to give your carcass and the carcasses of your entire army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So big guy. <laughs> awesome, eh? It reminds me of kids at school about to have a fight, you know. So I I had a little bit of experience, but because uh, once you've given them this evil look, you know, you, you, then you, 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 it's the threats. You threaten each other a little bit. You try to intimidate each other a little bit. And so one, one boy says to the other boy, says, I'm going to give you a fat lip. And this one's like, well, I'm going to give you a blood nose. Well, I'm going to give you a black eye. Well, I'm going to give you thick ears. Well, I'm going to crack your skull. My dad's bigger than your dad. (laughs) Because it doesn't really matter what they say at the end of the day. It doesn't matter who's got the big dad or the big, big brother at school or whatever it is. eh? And, And see, David knew. 
His God was bigger. Didn't matter what Goliath had to say. Doesn't matter what the enemy shouts at you. When you know who's on your side and you know how big your God is, it just completely changes everything. Amen. So David had that perspective. He knew that nothing was impossible to God, nothing was impossible with God, and nothing was impossible for him. Hallelujah. Number three, don't listen to losers. Don't listen to losers. When David had got to the army and he asked that question, what will be done for the man who removes this disgrace from Israel? It just so happened, standing there were his oldest brothers. And his particular older brother said, to, said when David asked the question, it was basically, if you can imagine the scenario, the old brother's there, the big brother, and he's freaked out. He's scared. He's wet his pants. And then David turns up and David says, I'll give it a go. What's, what's the reward? The little brother. So the big brother immediately is being shown up, right? And so what's the big brother trying to do? He, he, he looks at David. This is what it says in the New Living, in the Living Translation of the Bible. He says, what do you think you're doing, you cocky little brat? Get back to your father's sheep. See, he was trying to cut him down. You've heard of the tall poppy syndrome, right? You know the tall poppy syndrome? Do you, do you understand that? Let me explain. Poppies. You know what a poppy is? Poppy flower. It's a flower. It's like we know them very well in New Zealand and Australia because on Anzac Day we, we give each other little poppies. People make donations and they get given these little plastic poppies and put poppies on because they, they grew on the fields over there in, in Turkey, isn't it, where the Anzacs invaded and got massacred and all that. Anyway, poppies... They're a red flower, and they grow like to a certain height, and you have poppy fields. It's like it's it's a beautiful field of red, carpet of red, when they're all growing. But occasionally you get a poppy that thinks it's on steroids, and so it doesn't stop growing at the same height as all the rest of them, and it just keeps getting taller. And it gets taller and sticks right up. And then when the gardener comes along, the gardener doesn't go, oh, that's a nice tall poppy. What does the gardener do? He gets out his scissors and he cuts it down. And this is what it's like, see, when you stand out from the crowd. This is what it's like when you dare to believe something that no one else dares to believe. You know, when you've got a challenge and you dare to stand up in faith and you've got people come along and say, who do you think you are? Try to chop you down, yeah. No one's ever done that around here before. Trying to chop you down. Yeah, you just think you're a big shot, don't you? Trying to chop you down. All this sort of, get it, they're intimidated. The reason is that you are showing them up. They're trying to pull you down to their size. They're trying to pull you down to where you are. They're trying to stop you going for something great in God. They're trying to stop you believing for something extraordinary in your life. Don't listen to losers. Amen? Just listen to people who encourage you, who stand with you, who, who support you, and, and be one. I shared the other day, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you hang out with turkeys. And, and so don't hang out with turkeys, or don't let turkeys influence the way that you think, or your vision, or whatever. Hang out with eagles, other big-thinking people. Rub shoulders with them. Encourage other people. Encourage your friends. Encourage your children. I was sharing this about parents. Encourage your children. Encourage your children. Stand by your children. Support your children. There's nothing better than your children exceeding you in life. Amen. That's one of the great rewards as a parent is to have your children 
exceed you and do far greater than you because in essence, if you're unthreatened, if you're not insecure, that's a great blessing to you. So just champion your children. Don't push them and, and force them into it, but just champion them and support them as they're doing great things in their lives too. Amen? So go for the top. Attempt the impossible. And don't listen to losers. Amen? Amen. Number four. Know your weapon. Know your weapon. See, David was not only skillful on the guitar, but you can only play a guitar for so many hours and your fingers start to get a bit sore, even if you're a, you're a you know, quite a custom musician. You might get a couple of hours, two, three hours, you're getting sore. I've got calluses, they're not as big as they used to be, but I'll still get sore fingers after an hour or so playing a, a guitar. And uh, so David, he's worshipping God, he's having this good old time, he's written down a few songs and, and uh, puts the guitar down, comes the afternoon, the sheep are merrily chewing on the grass, so David's sort of wandering around a bit and he picks up some stones and he puts them in a pile about 50 metres away from a tree stump. And then he gets a Coke can and he goes and sticks a Coke can on the tree stump and then he gets his slingshot out. And then he starts practicing the slingshot. Puts the stone in there. And first of all, he was like phew, flicking them all over the place and whacking himself and getting it all wrong. But eventually he worked it all out. And, and he was getting to the point where he was getting closer and closer to the tree stump. And eventually, bang, he started hitting the tree stump. Bang, bang, bang. And then soon, ding, he hits the, hits the Coke can. Ding. And, and then he, David kept practicing every day until he got to the point where every single time, without fail, he could hit the letter O in the word Coke on a Coke can. And that's no exaggeration. Okay, they didn't have Coke cans back then, but the reality is the Scripture says that there were men in the Benjamite army who could hit a human hair from 50 paces with the slingshot. A human hair. I mean, there's not much finer line than that, and they could hit that every single time with their slingshot. So they knew how to skillfully wield this weapon and hit the target. So when David came down into the valley to fight Goliath, the Bible says he went down into the brook and he got himself, what? Five smooth stones. Now, I don't believe David was thinking like this. He didn't bend down, pick up the first stone and go, oh, that's a good stone. Mm, but if I miss, I better get another one. I put that in the pocket, get another one. Yeah, if I, that's a good one. If I miss with that one too, better get another one. Uh, I'll get five stones just in case I'm having a bad day with my slingshot. David wasn't thinking like that. If David missed Goliath with the first stone, David would be dead. Goliath wasn't slow. Goliath was big. But he was the champion of the Philistine army. Nobody could beat Goliath in a fight. And so if David missed Goliath with that stone, Goliath would have just taken a few quick steps forward, drawn his huge sword, and just gone in David's direction and chopped David in half. I mean, David had to hit Goliath with the first stone. And I believe David knew he was going to hit Goliath with the first stone. And it was that first stone that took Goliath out. So why did David get four more stones? Well, he said, you've got to take off your head and, and the heads of your entire army. Goliath had four big, ugly brothers. 
And David wanted to get them too. Amen. They were going to pursue the army. He was just getting loaded up to go and pursue the army after he'd taken out Goliath. Amen. David knew how to handle his weapon. And it's very important that we know how to handle our weapon. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Bible says, The weapons we fight with are not of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How many people have got a sword in this place? Give me a wave. Have you got a Bible? You've got a sword, amen? You've got the sword of the Spirit. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is, sh- is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word of God is phenomenal. It's awesome. It's powerful. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, God's Word will accomplish. It will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. Just as I was starting my itinerant ministry, we had a conference in Australia. It was called the Rim of Fire. Some great revival preachers from around the world came. and There seemed to be this developing theme in the conference of the sword of the Spirit. But I'd had these prophecies also over me about having two swords and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, in one particular meeting, they called all the intercessors to come to the front. And, and there was about 2,000 people there. And two-thirds of them came to the front. I don't think they were all intercessors, but they, they just wanted prayer or something or wanted to get down in the front. And uh, so about two-thirds came, and then the rest of us who were around in the audience, he said, listen, wherever you are in the audience, just find somebody near you and then pray for them. And there was a guy a couple of rows in front of me. I knew him because I'd, sort of, I'd worked with him doing a Billy Graham global mission thing. And he was just kind of a nice, I thought mild-mannered sort of a guy. So I thought, oh, I'll jump over and pray for him and encourage him. So I jumped over and said, mate, can I pray for you? And he said, sure, I prayed for him. And then he said, can I pray for you? And I was like, sure, go go ahead. I want to encourage him. Then he started praying for me. And flip, he could pray. I was like... Whoa. And he starts prophesying over me. And he's like, whoa. And he's like, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because he's anointed you to preach the good news, to bind up broken hearts, to set the captives free. And as he was, prophet, as he was prophesying, the Spirit of God came on me. I started shaking. And I started shaking so much I couldn't stand any longer. And I just went over backwards and I landed on the pew. There was long, the long pews, you know. There's nice soft ones, but I, I landed on it and I'm lying there on the pew and then I got this thought in my mind my thought was this if you are going to get the devil you need to get him really good right you don't want to just bruise him you want to you want to chop something off you want to give him a mortal wound you want to you want to incapacitate him somehow and so I imagine myself taking hold of a samurai sword I imagine a samurai sword though you know those guys they have this sword right down the back and they just kind of pull a sword out and then... And so I imagined I had this samurai sword on the, and I put my hands together over my head like this. And I just took hold of this imaginary sword. But the crazy thing was, as soon as I clenched my hands together on what was an imaginary sword, my hands took off by themselves. My hands went... 
Hello. Did you hear all that? And anyway, so I was just going like this, whipping around, and, and then I can remember the last three strikes were straight down. It was like, whew, whew, whew. and there was just like it stopped. And I thought, oh well, I'll put the sword back. <laughs> and so I, I just went like this. And when I put the sword back, it was like I sensed something in the atmosphere. And it was like, it was like, you ever seen the movie Gladiator? It was like I had been in the pit with a thousand bad guys. And I'd just taken the sword and I'd just been lopping off heads all around the place and chopping off limbs and spleens and everything like that. And, and when I finished and put the sword, I sensed like the whole arena just jumped to their feet and it was like this applause in the heavenly realms it was like this incredible victory had just been accomplished as I had yielded to the spirit and God had brought about this great victory with the sword and then God spoke to me about the sword and he said two things he said Carl it's a sobering thing to take hold of the sword of the spirit he said if you take hold of the sword of the spirit and your life is not right the first person that's going to get cut by that sword is you. And so even when it took off, you know, it was like I was having to line myself up with it to make sure it wasn't like throwing me off balance or I wasn't whacking myself or something like that. And so it's, a, it's about having our lives lined up with the word, with the sword of the spirit, being, being in submission to Christ, under Christ's authority, then we can be in authority, you know. And... Uh, and then the second thing God said was it's an awesome thing to take hold of the sword of the Spirit because the sword of the Spirit is living. It's active. And I had a revelation that day of God's Word being alive. I had, it was a real revelation because, see, I had taken hold of something symbolically, but it was t- almost tangible. I'd reached into the spirit realm and gro- grabbed hold of something tangible. It was like I had a tiger by the tail, and it was, it was alive. It was going. I was holding on to this thing. It's like, this is something I've got hold of. Got to turn it off? All right. Okay, so, so it just gave me this revelation. The Word of God, how powerful the Word of God is, how important it is for us to to fill our hearts and minds with the Word of God, to fill our hearts and minds with the promises of God, to pray according to the Word of God. When you pray according to the Word of God, you pray prayers of faith. See, when you know God's promises and you pray God's promises, your faith is anchored in those promises. It's It's the very essence that brings the promises of God 
from heaven to earth. It's praying in faith in those promises. It's not like we're twisting God's arm. We're just lifting ourselves in faith in agreement with the word of God. God watches over his word in order to perform it. And so as you're declaring and decreeing and, and speaking out and praying God's word, God is looking down and he's like, Gotcha. Yes, I'm in agreement with that. Here you go. In fact, the Bible even says that God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Now, we might think that's not fair. You know, we have to be a prophet and someone has to prophesy before God can do something. No, it's even more than that. If you take hold of God's words, because prophesying is not just foretelling, it's also foretelling. It's decreeing and speaking out God's word, speaking out God's promises. So if you get hold of God's word and the promises of God's word and you start speaking them out, you start declaring them over your life, you start declaring them over your church, you start declaring them over your family, over your situation, over your circumstances, you decree the promises of God, then you are speaking forth God's word. And so God is like, good, finally someone has spoken my word, now I can do it. So he's just looking and waiting for us to decree, to prophesy. Amen? Prophesy into being God's goodness over your life. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself Approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed or intimidated, handling accurately the word of truth. See, David was not intimidated by Goliath because he knew how to handle his weapon. And you will not be intimidated by anything that comes up against you if you know how to handle your weapon. If you know God's word, you know the promises of God, no matter what goes down in your life, you will not be phased by that. You will not be, not be, uh, you'll not be full of fear. You'll not be worried. You'll be like, it's good. It's all good. God's, God's in control. God's going to work it all out. You know, I, I will live and not die. By his stripes I am healed. You've just got the sword. You've got the word. You've got the promise. And it just keeps you secure. And you stand on that. And so when David came down and he took those five smooth stones, it, the first stone, he, it was like there were five promises. He was taking hold of five promises from the Word of God. He said, well, I'm going to go into battle today, and I'm going to go into battle with five promises from God's Word. But how many people know it only takes one promise from God, accompanied by faith, and wielded skillfully, will take out the enemy in your life? Amen? So get hold of the Word of God. Know, know your weapon. Amen? Number five, exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. 1 Samuel 17, 37. When David was, when he asked this question, what would be done for the man who removes this disgrace from Israel? There happened to, you know, and his brother, first of all, his brother um, tried to cut him down. David ignored his brother. And he went off and he found another group of people. And he asked exactly the same question. So, So David didn't bow down to family pressure. He just walked away from the family that says, you can't do this. No one's ever done this in our family before. Who do you think you are? He's just like, see you later, bro. And he went over and he asked the question in another group over here. And in this group, there just happened to be somebody who knew the king. And and he said to David, you want to give it a go, mate? And David said, yeah, bro. And he says, all right, come on, let's go. I know the king. And he took him down, took David down to the king. And then when David came down into King Saul's presence, he walks in there and King's like, awesome, someone's going to give it a go. 
you know, we need someone to volunteer because everyone else is freaked out. So he says, all right, here, put my armor on. What a dumb thing for Saul to say. Put my armor on. He's like, here, David, put my armor on. If you're going to go and fight Goliath, first put my armor on. What's Saul saying? Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else in the Israelite army. Remember that? Saul was a big boy as well. And uh, so, I mean, his armor's not going to fit David. But what was he saying? Why, would, why did he want David to put his armor on? See, if David had gone down and beaten Goliath, everyone would have thought it was Saul. That's why he's telling him to put his armor on. Yeah, so sometimes people want other people to do their dirty work and take the credit for it. That's basically what was going on there. But David's like, mate, I, I don't want your armor. You know, I haven't tried it out. He's basically saying it doesn't fit me anyway. It's like, this is crazy. I don't, I don't want your armor. And then he said, besides, I don't need your armor. 1 Samuel 17, 37. He says, the God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Hang on, what did he just say? Let's rewind that. The God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. What? David had taken out a bear? David had taken out a lion? Awesome, eh? Far out. But it didn't start there. Where did it start for David? Coke cans on the tree stump. That's where it started, right? Bang, bang, bang. One day, while he was practicing his slingshot, suddenly out from behind a rock came a little bunny rabbit. Boing, 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 boing. Boing, 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 boing. David looked at it. He's like, whoa, a moving target. This is cool. Dinner. Oh, put a rock in there in his sling. Bang, hit that rabbit. Down it went. He had rabbit stew for tea that night. Made a little pair of moccasins out of that rabbit skin. It's pretty good. A few days later, he's practicing a slingshot in the afternoon. And then out from behind a bush comes a fox. He's darting across a little bit faster than the rabbit. But he thought, oh, I got the rabbit. I should be able to get the fox. So he puts a stone in. Bang, down goes the fox. Sure enough, fox curry for tea that night. And he got this nice fur collar, you know, fox fur collar. It's pretty nice. A few weeks later, he's practicing a slingshot in the afternoon. And then suddenly, out from behind a bush, hops a kangaroo. Boing, 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 boing. All right, there's no kangaroos in Israel today. It's because David killed them all, okay? But there was this kangaroo that day, and it came hopping, bang, 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 boing. And, and David thought... Oh, okay, puts the stone in. He thought, I'd better synchronize myself. So he starts jumping up and down, doing, doing, doing with the kangaroo, doing, bang, hits the kangaroo, down goes the kangaroo. Had kangaroo steak. For, oh, I love kangaroo steak. Has anyone ever had kangaroo? If you ever go to Australia, make sure you have kangaroo steak. But, oh, it's nice. Nice lean meat. Very, very tasty. My wife doesn't like it because it's kangaroo, but I like it because it's nice. Amen. Anyway, and he made this nice mat and everything, so he was real happy. A few weeks later, he's practicing his slingshot, it's all good, and puts it down, goes and lies down in the field, sheep are merrily chewing away on the grass. So he's lying back in the field, 
just looking up at the clouds and the sky. It's a lovely day. And he hears a growl. Sits up. And he sees a bear got one of the sheep in its mouth and dragging the sheep. And David's like, hey, yo, let go of my bear. Let, let go of my sheep. And, and so he puts this stone in his sling and he goes, flings that stone down, bang, hits the bear on the head, right? And the bear goes, like that, and the sheep falls out and sheep runs away. And then David comes running down. The bear's still a bit dazed. And so David grabs the bear by the, by the beard, gets out his club, and just goes smash on this thing's head. Down it goes, gets out his sword, chops off the bear's head. Blood goes everywhere. And he takes his head and he goes and sticks it up on the wall in his bedroom, peels the bear, makes himself a big bearskin rug. A few weeks later, similar kind of deal in the afternoon. He's just lying back on the grass. The sheep, he's finished playing, worshipping God and everything. And he hears this roar. He sits up. Whoa, what's that? And, and this, a lion got a sheep in its mouth, dragging the sheep away. And so David's running down. He gets a slingshot, flings a sling. Bang, hits the lion right in the head. The lion goes, oh, like that. Sheep falls out, runs away. And then David runs down. The lion's still a bit dazed. And so David leaps on the lion's back, grabs it by the mane. And the lion shakes its head and, and, and takes off. And David's holding, riding the lion. And he's going along. And he pulls out his club and bang, hits the lion on the head. And the lion just crumbles into a big heap. David grabs his sword quickly, chops off the lion's head. He takes this lion, runs up, puts it up on the wall above his bed beside the bear, skins the lion, makes this beautiful kind of lion skin jacket, coat, and the paws just kind of hanging over here like this. So see, David had a bit of experience, right? And so when he came down in the field, or when he was out on that battlefield, and looked down, he didn't see a giant there. What did he see? Bunny rabbit. He just went, bunny rabbit, big bunny rabbit, slow bunny rabbit. In fact, I am bunny rabbit, kangaroo, fox, lion, bear, it's all the same, piece of cake. It's because of his experience. I was sharing yesterday how it started for me, you know, it was like um, healing started. When I was a kid, watching pictures, looking at pictures, watching other people pray, things like that. It's experience. Here's a confession. When I was, when I was um, in my early teens, no, late teens, early 20s, I was into bodybuilding, all right? Not professionally, but I just loved working out. I had weights at home. I'd go to the gym. I was a fitness fanatic back in those days. And uh, so I just got into it all the time. One day... I went to a menswear shop to buy a shirt. And I found a shirt on the rack. It was a nice shirt. I thought I'll go and try it on. I took it into the men's room, the changing room. And the changing room was like the hall of mirrors. It didn't just have one mirror here and one mirror there. It had a mirror on every wall. It had this like mirror on a hinge in the corner on an angle. And, and so when I walked into the room, I took my shirt off put it down, 
I reached over to pick up the shirt that I was going to try on. And as I reached over, I'm kind of like looking in this mirror here, which was reflecting me from that mirror over there. And I saw myself from an angle I never saw myself from before. And I stopped and I went, far out. Is that my arm? Awesome. 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 I just started doing these poses in this room. Eh? I was like... Because <laughs> I got a revelation that day. See, if you lift weights, your muscles grow. You know? And my muscles had grown. They were huge back then. And when they've gone now, I've got furniture disease now. You know, you know what furniture disease? My chest has fallen into my drawers. But... But, you know, when you lift, lift weights, your muscles grow. And, and not only that, it, the, the amount of weight that you can lift increases over time. And, and this is how it was with me when I was young. I'm first, I'm praying for runny noses. I'm praying for sprained ankles. I'm praying for... Next month, I'm praying for a leg grow. And the, grow, the leg grows. And, and you keep faithful in small things, and God takes you on to greater things. And, and, and so just keep on, keep on praying. Keep on believing God. Wherever you're at right now, just keep on believing God. Keep on praying. Take as many opportunities as you can to pray for people. Pray over every situation. And just keep on praying. And as you keep exercising your faith, you grow. Faith, faith grows. Faith muscles grow. It's kind of like you're just you're seeing God do great things. The more great things you see God do, it's awesome. Amen? And you just, just get pumped. And uh, before you know it, you'll be raising the dead. Hallelujah. Number six. Nearly there. Know your authority. Know your authority. 1 Samuel seventeen forty five. When David was facing Goliath... Goliath's shouting at him and everything. And David says to Goliath, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. In the name of the Lord God Almighty. See, David knew his authority. He knew who he represented. He knew who was backing him up. In Luke 10, 22, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus has all authority. But then we find in Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, And I have given you authority over all the works of the enemy. Well, that's good, eh? So he has all authority, and he's given all authority to every single one of us. And then... We carry his authority. There's something about his authority. Not only has he given us authority, but he's given us a badge of authority. In Australia, we've got some pretty big trucks, especially in the Northern Territory. You got In the Northern Territory, you've got the Kenworth trucks and stuff that, that will pull four carriages. The trucks will weigh 120 tonnes. And the Northern Territory roads are... The, the speed limit, they used to have no speed limit. I think the speed limit is about 120 now on those Northern Territory roads. So you've got these huge trucks going really fast and they've got a lot of momentum. But one skinny little man could stop one of those trucks with one hand. If he's got a badge. 
be standing on the side of the road and he holds his hand up like this, that truck's going to stop because that truck driver sees the badge, recognises the authority. It's not just a skinny little man. It's a skinny little man with the whole police force behind him, with the whole government behind him. If you don't do what, you, what he says, you're in big trouble. So that truck comes to a stop. It's because he's got a badge. It's a badge of authority. And we Christians have been given a badge of authority. And the badge of authority that we've been given is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because the name of Jesus is above every name. In fact, as I shared in Philippians chapter 2 the other day, because Jesus humbled himself, became a man, even a servant unto man, he emptied himself of all his divine power, became a man, a servant unto man, even unto the point of death, Therefore God has exalted him, raised him up, seated him at his right hand, and given him a name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth shall bow. Amen. Every giant shall come down. Every demon shall flee. Every impossible situation be made possible in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's why it's so important to name the name of Jesus. And all that you do, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, do all in the name of Jesus. Does that mean when we pray, we always say, in the name of Jesus? Not necessarily. That's what we're doing. We're doing in the name of Jesus. It means you're representing him. You're on his behalf. He's with you. He's for you. But at times it does really help to use the name of Jesus. All right? It's very important to be in alignment with Christ, with his authority, under his authority, to use his authority. If you try to use his authority and you're not under authority, you're in big trouble. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? There's a Jewish exorcist. They tried to cast a demon out of a man. And they say to this man, Hey, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of him. And the man leapt on them. This was seven people. One man leapt, ripped all their clothes off, beat them all up, and they all ran out of the house bleeding and naked. Because what, what did the demon say? The demon says, Well, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who the heck are you? Whoa. So you've got to get your name known. You've got to get your name known in hell. How do you get your name known in hell? Well, number, number one, you get your name known in heaven. You get your name written in the book. When you give your name, life to Jesus, your name is written in the book. You know, the book of life. And uh, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your name's written there. And it seems that perhaps a carbon copy is sent to hell just to rub it in the devil's nose. It's like God just saying, these are mine. They're you know, they allegiance with me. They've named my name. They've publicly declared me as Lord. They confess me as Lord. I confess them before the Father. And I'm just letting you know, devil, they're on my team. And so, so the devil is freaked out. And when we use the name of Jesus, and when we come under the authority, because what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he will flee. But that's not the whole story. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Then resist the devil and he will flee. Come under Christ's authority. Live in obedience to his word. When you're in alignment and in obedience to God's word, then you have all of God's authority to do amazing things. Amen. The devil will flee and you'll be able to do great stuff. Amen. Final point. If I could have some musicians, please. That'd be great. Final point. Be holy. Be holy. 
What does it mean to be holy? Does being holy mean that you dress in a suit, you carry a big King James Bible, and you look down your nose at everybody else and you go, Yea, verily, thus saith the Lord, I am more holy than thou art. That is not being holy. That is being stupid. All right? What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be separate. When we say holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In fact, in Scripture, when it says holy, 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 that's not what they say. They don't actually say, the angels don't actually say holy, holy, holy. It's just, it's just this is how they wrote things back in those days because they didn't have highlight, they didn't have bold, they didn't have underline. So going holy is just, and if you're going to highlight it or, or bold it, you go holy, holy. If you want to bold it and put underline, you go holy, holy, holy. Okay, so it's not the angels going holy, holy, holy. It's the angels going holy. That shout is like, wah. And what does holy mean? Holy means separate. It means so, so vastly different, so set apart. There's none like God. God is just, wow, there's just nothing to compare with God. That's holy, all right? And God says, be holy as I am holy. Be separate as I am separate. Separate yourself from the things that separate you from me. Be separate from the world. You're in the world, but you're not of this world. Don't get entangled. A good soldier does not get entangled with the affairs of the world. Though we we live our lives here, we're in the world. We're not of the world. And David, in Psalm 86, verse 11 to 12, says, Give me an undivided heart, Lord. I will seek you, God, with all of my heart. With all of my heart. See, David knew the power of an undivided heart. He knew the power of being holy, of separating himself unto God. In fact, the scripture says that the eye of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed. To him, those who are holy, those who separate themselves unto God, who put God first, who go after God's kingdom first and say, God, it's all yours. You are the Lord of all. He's seeking to show himself strong. I say, God's just like, where's someone? Where's someone I can really bless? Where's someone I can really pour out my spirit? Where's someone that I can do something really awesome with? Uh, oh, here's someone whose heart's fully awesome. I'm going to show myself strong to them. And I don't know about you, but if God is looking to and fro throughout the earth to find someone whose heart's fully committed to Him so He can show Himself strong, I want Him to find me. Amen? Do you want Him to find you? Do you want Him to find you and look at you and go, I want, or do you want Him to overlook you? Go, oh, no, he's not, he's not committed. She's not committed. She's not fully committed. Oh, here's one. You want to be found by God. You want to be one of those ones that God says, yes, this one I want to show myself strong. This one I'm going to bless. This one I'm going to pour out my spirit on. This one I'm going to do something great with. This one's going to build an incredible legacy. This one's going to leave an amazing legacy. Amen. Come on, let's stand up to our feet. We're going to pray in a moment. And... uh, 
years ago, in fact, it was 1990, I'd moved to Australia. I'd been working, uh, doing contract engineering work for a couple of years, but I'd also been helping out with the youth. And the youth group had been growing. In fact, it exploded. We had pretty much a revival. In two years, the youth grew from about 20 to 200. And, and so they, I was in a youth meeting. No, I was in a prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting, the guy leading the prayer meeting said, we're going to worship God today. In fact, that's all we're going to do. We're just going to worship God this morning, this afternoon. And I thought, tonight, whatever it was. And I just thought, awesome, because I love worshiping God. I had no problem worshiping God. So I lifted my hands and I started worshiping God with all of my heart. And as I did, I had a vision. Now, it wasn't like an open vision. It wasn't so much like everything disappeared and I was watching a movie. It was, it was kind of like I had my eyes closed, but I could see. And, and I was standing in front of God. And I found myself spontaneously lifting up every area of my life to God. Everything that I was, everything that I wanted, every dream, every desire, everything I had, every aspect of my life. One at a time, I just started lifting them to God. It was like it was an act of worship. It's like, God, okay, you want me to worship you? Here, here's my life. Here's everything. Because worship's not just the words that come out of our mouth. Worship's the way that we live. It's the way we handle every, every situation. And, and so I was just lifting it all up to God. Here, worship, worship. Here's my life. Here's this part of my life. Here, you take it. It's your Lord, I give it to you. I honor you. I worship you with my life. And everything I was lifting up to God, God responded in three ways. Some of those things, God reached down and He took hold of them. And He said, thank you. I've been waiting for you to give me that. Some of them, a little bit of compromise here, a little bit. Some things were not bad, but they were just not appropriate for me. If I was really going to go after God, I was going to have to lay those things down. I was going to have to go after things that other people didn't go after, you know. It's like, a, like an Olympian, someone who's going to get the gold medal. They don't sort of go out and eat durian every night for the night before the race, you know what I mean? It's like, you got to say, oh, I can't, sorry, today, I can't do that. And there's things that you can't do and there's things that you will have to do. You have to put in the discipline and you have to put in the exercise and all of that in order to get good. If you're going to get good at something, it's going to cost you. And, and so God just took some things and I happily let them go. I laid them down. Some things God took, He held them for a little while and then he gave them back to me. And it was God showing me it was a timing thing. God said, if you are prepared to lay this down now, I'm going to bring it back you know, and seek first my kingdom. Then I'm going to bring it back into your life later. And I'm going to make up for you having laid it down. And so I was happy to do that. And some of those things, one, for example, was my house. I just continued. I, I didn't have a house for years. I just pursued God. I just pursued the kingdom of God. I poured my money into traveling overseas and, and ministering for the Lord until the time came where the Lord blessed me with a house. I sowed a seed. I gave away a car. And next minute I get given a phenomenal amount of money over a period of one year, which gave me a great deposit to put down on a house. And so God provided a house, which, you know, there was a whole lot tied up with this. 
Basically, God provided in a phenomenal way. Another thing was getting married was something that I had put on the back burner for some years. Or at least I had been very, very careful at who I would choose to be my partner in life because I didn't want to be derailed from God's call and the purpose of the kingdom. And so for many years, I served God alone, traveling around the nations, and it's only last year, God gave me this beautiful woman who's a great woman of God and a great prayer warrior. Amen. And some things God just held his hand like that. And he said, keep that. Focus on that. Run after that. These are the things I've got for your life now. Pursue them with all of your heart. And I went after those things. You know the amazing thing that happened? That night, that night I had like just completely surrendered it all to God. I completely yielded to his will. I wanted my will to be his will. And that night, the youth pastor came to my house for supper. So God had been helping him for a couple of years and everything had grown. And So he came to my house for supper. And we were about to come to Asia. We were about to come to Singapore, Malaysia and Thailand to do a missions trip. And he said to me, Carl, what are you, what are you doing when you come back from Asia? And I said, Jeff, I'm not quite sure, but I've got a feeling I'm not going back to my secular job. And he said, good. He said, we want you to come full time in ministry, working with the young people. It was like the very night that I'd gone, God, I lay it all down. I lay my whole life down. I give it to you as worship. Do whatever you want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. God said, good, now you're ready. Now I can take you from this place and I can put you in this place. Now I can do with your life everything that I wanted to do with your life. Amen. My heart was fully committed. And I want us to do something. Let's close our eyes before the Lord. And just wherever we are. See, I stood before God that night and I stretched my hands up in full surrender. And I said, God, my heart, my life is yours. I surrender it fully. I want you to find me and show yourself strong in my life and through my life. And this morning as we stand before God, as we close our eyes, I want you just to lift your hands up before the Lord in that same sort of act of surrender. Lift your hands up. You're saying to God, by lifting your hands up, saying, God, I surrender all. God, I yield all. God, I give you all that I am. I give you my life. I am yours. Do in me what you want to do in me. Do through me what you want to do through me. I live not for myself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. The life I now live, I live by faith in Him. And He is going to do something amazing. And Father, I pray right now, as we lift our lives, as we offer ourselves to you, as we give ourselves to you. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus over every person here in this place, Lord, that you would show yourself strong. Lord, that you would visit them. Lord, that you would move upon their lives. God, that you would anoint them, that you would pour out your Spirit in them, that you'd pour out your Spirit through them, that you would raise them up to impact this nation for your glory. Lord, that there be those that would preach, Lord, and win many people to you. There are those that would teach there would be those that would prophesy. There would be those that pray for the sick. There would be those that do great miracles, great exploits in your name. There would be those who are mighty in business, Lord, who are 
greatly blessed and a great blessing to the kingdom. There are those who raise great families who impart their secrets of walking with you into them and seeing great families raised up in the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, wherever they are, whatever they do, show yourself strong to them, Lord. Visit them as a church, God, as this church consecrates itself to you, as this church separates itself unto you, as this church says, here we are, Lord, we are yours. We don't want to do it the world's way. We don't want to do it some other way. We want to do it your way. We want to give you glory. We want you to have your way in us. We want you to have your way through us. Father, I pray bless this church. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would help this church build an incredible legacy. Lord, that impacts not just this generation, but the generations to come. That they will be a church that show others what can happen and what can be done. When hearts and lives are fully committed to you. Fully committed to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, let's just lift our voices to Him. Let's just pray in the Holy Spirit. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Thank you, Jesus. God has given you His presence. He's given you His Word. He's given you the sword of the Spirit. He's given you His name. He's given you His authority. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No giant that stands against you will be able to stand. You will be able to take those giants down in the name of Jesus. He has given you the victory. He's already accomplished the victory. He won the victory 2,000 years ago on the cross. He's defeated every foe. And He gives you that victory. He hands you that victory today. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we we declare, we decree that every giant shall come down. Every giant that faces us, that tries to intimidate us, is a defeated foe in Jesus' name. It is a defeated foe. Every sickness, every disease is defeated in Jesus' name. And we command that sickness, disease to no longer hold us or hinder us. We speak victory and we declare wholeness and health over our lives. Father, in the mighty name of every habit, every other thing that would come and try to pull us down and trip us up, we just declare a defeated foe we have victory in Jesus we have victory in Jesus thank you Lord financial breakthrough the debt that seems like a giant must come down in Jesus name 
when we throw against that the principles of kingdom finances, that giant will come down. That giant will come down. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your amazing presence. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for all that you've done in our hearts and our lives this weekend. And we thank you for all that you are building in us. All that you would help us to build for your kingdom's sake. The legacy. And the legacy that we'll leave for our children and our children's children. The legacy that we'll leave in this nation for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.